This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Whakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. Welcome back. Thank you. It was a successful surgery last week. I now have a much smaller stomach and an excited outlook on life, that is for sure. Exciting. We shall talk more about that. How's the campaigning going? Campaigning's going really well. We had our first candidate event in Fakatani yesterday, so I got to have it, you know, listen to um, what the others bring to the table. It was really interesting. You get your people who've got the, you know, their their one thing that they want to promote, and others who don't actually know what what they're supposed to actually do on the regional council. <laughs> and it's quite interesting, actually, listening to the mix. I found it really fun. We might be able to talk about that more today. Because who are we introducing today? It is my great pleasure to introduce Alan Somerville. Alan is an early childhood teacher, which is amazing in itself, and also standing for the Regional Council, but in Otago. Kia ora, Alan. Thank you for joining us. Kia ora. It's very nice to be here. Thanks. So, Alan, we've been asking people how their bubble life was. And, of course, that's now turned into history and there's a traffic light mixed into that, but we'll ask it anyway. How was your bubble life and how was your traffic light life? Well, I must say, my early my early bubble life, the first big lockdown, I had it very comfortably. Um, my wife, Ruth, and I were here at home. We had secure jobs. We had no young children. We had to try and work alongside or get through school. We had a warm home. So we had quite an easy life. We got to walk around in the Dunedin sunshine and have a bit of a rest. But I know that certainly wasn't the case for everybody. In the traffic light system, life got a little more complicated in some ways. I was working as a head teacher, as an early childhood teacher. And so we were keeping on the professional development work while our centre was were closed, but then we were also the planning for the return of our children to the centre. And there was quite a bit of work involved in that. Do you have to try and maintain distance and things for little kids? Well, I guess it was for a while. We, we had the centres open, but with only a small number of children there. And so we had some of our staff back and some of our children back. And no, we weren't trying to maintain distance in early childhood, but we were doing all the cleaning. That was the guidelines then, and keeping the place well ventilated. But we were also doing our best to keep in touch with the children who were still at home because some of them weren't going to be at the centre for many weeks and we didn't want them to lose contact with our staff, our teachers. And so we were sort of doing the two things at once for a while. Of course, those little children haven't known anything other than growing up in a pandemic. That, yes, it's really interesting, actually. I, I've retired from that main job as an early childhood teacher in, in March this year. But since then, amongst other things, I've been looking after a playgroup at the Parents Centre in Dunedin. And it's really been interesting, actually, talking to those parents who make the point that you've just made. They're, most of those children are sort of one and two years old. And this has been their experience. They've grown up in this COVID world where, in many cases, they haven't had the contact with large numbers of other children, those who aren't attending um, um, education and care centres. They're really not used to coming in contact with many children at all. So it is, it's been a different experience. And interestingly, with the masking up of adults, I think they're having to um, learn their sort of communication and learn to interpret 
adults without being able to see their whole face, which is either very difficult for them or else they're learning some very clever skills at an early age. They're going to have very different communication skills when they when they grow up, aren't they? They're going yeah, to be talking yeah, to people yeah. and just looking at the top of their face. That's maybe. right. And maybe, maybe that's all they'll need in their early years if they've learned how to do that, because, of course, we know that, that, you know, that learning in the early years in many ways is the very most important of all. They might have an advantage over the rest of us who would rather see the whole face. Have you always been involved in community community work? Well, I suppose, well, for a fair while now. I guess I got into play centre when my children were born, and they're all in their 20s now, um, and I ended up in the role of um, chief caregiver because my wife was in full-time workforce, and I took them along to play centre. And I think that's probably how I really got into it. Um, and from play centre, I moved into the wider early childhood sector. But that play centre involvement, I think, really showed me the value um, and the work that's involved in much of that voluntary community work. And there's so much of that that goes on, and the country could not run without it. Someone was telling me that there's some quite innovative um, leadership practices in places like Play Centre that you've long had a co-governance approach and other innovations. Yes, yes, I think I think Play Centre was in the forefront of many things and throughout its history. Um, you know, the early recognition of 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 Te Tiriti or Waitangi, um, early, very early emphasis on consensus decision making. And yes, an early adoption of a co-governance model at the um, sort of national levels of the organisation. Certainly in the forefront of many things there, I think. And many of those ideas, of course, are spreading elsewhere now. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have The Bats, Western Isles. Why this one? Um, About, or in the early 1990s, Ruth and I were living in London. And um, we took off to Scotland with our, our bicycles we bought in London, our touring bikes, and we headed up to Scotland on a train and sort of between trains and bikes. And we did get over to the Western Isles. So this song reminds me of that, particularly that second line when it says, learn to love the wind. One <laughs> error we made was we didn't check the direction of the prevailing wind. So we biked from... Um, north to south, down through Lewis and Harris and, and the Uists and Benbecula. And I think we had a constant headwind for a week the entire way. Seven, two, three, four. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. I am now, yeah. Live in Western Yeah. 
things that we talk to people about, especially people who work in early education, whether it be in early childhood or into early primary school, is how disconnected so many of our kids are from a feeling of the future, especially by the time they get into high school. Is there anything you think we can do with our real littlies, helping them to vision what a future looks like and enabling them with those tools? Yes, well, Maria, that's certainly a very interesting question. I suppose, I think we're very lucky in New Zealand with our early childhood curriculum, Te Whāliki, and the principles that that's based on include the, you know, absolutely essential things of relationships and family and community and the other principles too, holistic development and empowerment. And I guess sort of putting those things together, what does that bring for children? That sense that they belong in this belong in this place, in their community and in their family, and that they have an important role to play there. Now I suppose that's not really specifically giving them some idea of the future. But those are very sound foundations, I think, knowing that you belong, knowing that you matter in a place. Um, one of the things that we often talk to our parents about, when, you know, in play centres or other early childhood settings, is asking them, what do you want for your children? What do you want for them now? And what do you want them to be like in the future? And when we get onto that one, that, that idea of empowerment is actually really important. So one of the things that when I'm working with children, I always try and do is give them the chance to make decisions, meaningful decisions about what they do. You know, poor children in many cases, they have to come to the supermarket, they have to get in their car seat, they have to have a bath. When there are occasions in, when we can let them be in the control of their lives, it's really important, I think, to let them do that so that they can see that they can make meaningful decisions. At an early childhood centre, it's, you know, I can decide to play in the, play in the sandpit now. At home, it can mean I can decide to go and play outside now. But carrying those decisions through so that by the time they're teenagers, they're used to making decisions. And rather than thinking, oh, nothing I do is going to make any difference, that they think my decisions actually do affect me and do affect other people. So where, what am I doing? I think I'm coming round to that idea. Let's let children have as much control of their lives in their early years as they can, so they'll retain that sense of control when they're older. Oh, I like that. So do you see value then in asking the children, what do you what do you want to be when you get big and where do you want to live and how do you want to live and what what are you going to drive? All those kind of questions about what the future looks like from a practical perspective. It, can we ask kids those questions like on a regular basis and, and build that ability to look into their future? You, you can try asking, you can certainly try asking those questions. Some of them might be a bit too far removed, I think, from their experience. I guess to be asking them things that are a bit closer, because when you're younger, it's very hard to take that very long-term view, whereas being able to think about what you're going to do tomorrow and next week is a lot easier than thinking about what you're going to be doing in 10 years. But certainly asking them what they want to do, what their preferences are, and giving them the chance wherever possible um, to follow up on those things. One of the other um, things that's come up quite a lot when we talk to educationalists is the absence of critical thinking in our high school kids in particular. And I know that like here in Whakatane, Whakatane High School have actually now got a compulsory class for all levels of high school in critical thinking. And I always thought that was actually quite a substantial part of, of early childhood education. Is that wrong? Or do you guys yes, actually... I, I think that's an important thing. I don't know that we call it critical thinking. Um, you know, we certainly talk about problem solving. And one of, one of our aims in early childhood, I think, is to get... Um, children thinking for themselves. So rather than adults providing all the answers for children, 
we might sort of speak in more tentative language to get children thinking about what the options might be and sort of, oh, I wonder if this might be the case, what, and then getting their ideas on that. Now, their ideas on that might be quite different from what we might think, the way something works, but actually that's probably more important that they're developing their thinking skills rather than getting the right answer about something. I realise that the early childhood, not the sum total of your professional experience, but bear with me for a minute. All I learnt in kindergarten, all I whatever it is, all I really know need to know I learnt in kindergarten. Is that what it is? Is that what the title is? I think it's something like that. What can we take from your experiences in there to local and regional government? Are there other lessons that we you can take from from early childhood education? Well, I'm sure. Yes, yes. I think there are many actually, and. And I referred earlier to our early childhood curriculum, Tefariki. I mean, that can be applied to all sorts of things. Those principles I mentioned, the principle of relationships, actually children will, young children will learn best when they have a trusted relationship with people. Well, that's the same with adults. We'll be able to learn better. We'll be able to communicate properly when we've, um, when we've established a relationship of trust. <clears throat> that whole idea too of family and community, of the importance of that. Now I know in this day and age we hear a whole lot about competition. Well actually that family and community principle suggests cooperation is absolutely vital. And I think that's something that I would look to to see that building a community of finding people who can cooperate, finding some common goals and then working out together how you're going to get there. And that's something we, I think, do in early childhood, and that's something, too, that I think it's really important for local government to do in association with their communities. So what led you down the pathway from the work you were doing to putting your your hand up for serving in a different way? Hmm. Yes, well, I sometimes wonder that. I think I think there's a few answers actually. Um, partly, I've been I think inspired by my children, who, as I say, are in their twenties now. I spoke to you earlier about how we talk to our parents in early childhood services. Well, you know, what's important for your children? What do you want for them? And after doing that um, one day or one week, as I was walking home in Dunedin up London Street, I was thinking. How do, I, how do I really pin that down to what I wanted for my children? And as I say, this was just a couple of years ago. And actually, I pinned that down to two things in the end. I tried to, you know, distill it, get it nice and succinct. And I thought I'd really like my aspirations, if you like, for them were to be adventurous and responsible. And when I look at their lives, they have been both those things. It's wonderful that they have done done what they've done. But I thought, well, here's a chance for me to be a little more adventurous, you know, putting my hand up in public and saying, this is what I'm standing for, because I'm standing for the Otago Regional Council on the Green Party ticket. And I'm putting my hand up and say, saying, in public, this is what I'm after. That's actually quite adventurous for me and somewhat out of my comfort zone. But I thought I'd better take that example of doing that. And I think it's also responsible because it's standing up for some things that are very, very important. So that's one part of the answer. Um, I guess the other thing is I've been involved in the Green Party quite a bit for the last three or four years. And here was another role I could take those important green principles of ecological wisdom and social justice and take those a bit further um, as well. And I think that the skills I've learned in dealing with people and in finding ways of reaching agreement with people and leading on to action, that can be very helpful, I think, in, in at the regional council level. One way of looking at the regional councils is that they've got an impossible job, that they're managing a resource or the resources that perhaps shouldn't be considered as resources, that they're perhaps better consist, considered as parts of the functioning ecosystem or, or something, and it sets up a, 
a, a, a competition, if you will, between people that want to use those resources and people that want to look after them? Yes, it, it, it's, it's a challenge, that's for sure. I suppose the way I'd view it is that we're all part of the ecosystem. You know, we humans and all our economic activity, that's part of the ecosystem too. Um, and I think that's the way to view it. How can all that work successfully within one sustainable model? And there's not, it's, it's a complex business. There's not a simple answer to that one. And when you go making changes to things to protect the environment, we recognise that affects people's livelihoods. And so it, it gets to be a very difficult issue and a lot of difficult decisions and conversations to be had. But it's absolutely essential that we do look after the environment properly because the costs of not doing that in the long run are absolutely enormous or even unthinkable. We haven't seen the large-scale overallocation of water like they have in Canterbury, but there are pockets of that, and it's probably increasing. I'm thinking of the Lindus and the Shag that dry out because of the water taken from them, yet those farmers are reliant on, on that water. How do we manage those conflicts, those tensions? Yeah, I mean, that's why it's so complex. That's exactly right. That's where it's very difficult. And I think having to look at a sort of a long-term view, if we're trying to farm, do agriculture in, um, that requires types of agriculture that require a lot of water in places where there's not much rainfall, then we need to be planning how we can change so that the climate and the land and the economic activity match up better. But, you know, farmers are extremely innovative and we know that farmers care a great deal about their land. And one initiative that's underway throughout New Zealand, not only Otago, is setting up of local catchment groups. And these are supported by the Otago Regional Council, certainly, where it's using farmers' knowledge um, and experience to come up with farming methods methods that are more sustainable for the future. And I would really like to see further support for those catchment groups so that that good practice that they are promoting in many cases can become much more widespread practice. And that's one way. But there's no easy answers to that one. It's a difficult and long road, I think. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokadui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, kia I hope you're all having a best day, beautiful superstars, in your beloved universes. I really hope, wherever you are, and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you more and more each day, who you are. A triumph of nature's art. Perfect. Unique. And here. Making things better. Thank you. Now I know that for us all, the last more than two and a half years have been very trying. We've had to evolve and grow in so many new directions. Our lives have taken so many unexpected twists and turns. And we've had to accommodate this and we've had to adapt and find new ways of doing being seen feeling and all of this has been very tiring I know for myself in my own life so much has shifted and changed and I'm constantly so grateful for the innate capacity which we all have to be able to adapt to be able to try new things, to be able to do things differently. This is a wonderful, wonderful skill which we have. And of course, it's not only us, the human animals, with these skills, it's all our relations, all life has that ability. And different life forms offer us different strategies for adapting to change. 
some species that we know and love, of course, go into a state of hibernation until warmer weather arrives. And I've been doing a bit of this with my long COVID. I'm very lucky that I have been able to go into a bit of a state of hibernation. Some species migrate, of course, and seek out warmer climes, go much further afield, all the way around the world. So there's all sorts of different ways that we can explore making things work for us as they are now. So I really hope for you there are some strategies that are being very beneficial. Of course, as we find ourselves in new environments, as we find ourselves in new sequences of alignment, there can be times when we feel unprepared for dealing with these changes. We can feel that things are too different from the way that they were and we don't have the requisite skills to be able to navigate these new landscapes. However, I believe that we do. It's important to honour and acknowledge the feelings that we're having, but also to recognise them as just one part of the journey that we're on, just one part of that movement towards illumination and self-knowledge. There's so much that we're learning about ourselves and each other at this time. It's a very precious time in our societal evolution, in our history. So there's so much to be grateful for. Recognising all those different skills that we have, seeing in one another those skills reflected back to us, finding new aspects of the world to explore and enjoy, and really treasuring those opportunities to reconnect with those ways of life that we hold so dear, that are so familiar, that are so precious. I've been loving having my education groups again at Orokanui Eco Sanctuary and for all of us being able to talk about all the changes that have taken place is so helpful. So I really hope for you you're getting the love and support, the compassion, the kindness that you so richly deserve and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Alan Somerville. Mawera, you've been to a candidates meeting or two in um, Bay of Plenty. What are the hot button items that people are talking about? Well, the Eastern Bay of Plenty, we have got this, we've got we're suffering seriously from climate change, um, and our way of moving around is going to become unsustainable with the increase in weather events. Uh, and the uh, rise in temperature, but also something that really um, worries me and and that I raised yesterday and that I think is now going to worry a lot of people who hadn't thought about it is food production. How do we grow the things that we grow now in the climate that we have now when the climate we have now is not going to be here for very much longer? We are turning into a really tropical place, growing a lot of bananas and people are growing pineapples here now as well. Uh, and so what happens to all the traditional foods that we have always relied on? So, um, yeah, so climate change is the big one in terms of our infrastructure. Roads keep falling off into the rivers and, uh, and down gullies and into the ocean um, and food. And, of course, that warming to that tropical climate, people might think, oh, that sounds nice. But, of course, it brings all the the new pests as well. Yeah. And the, and the end of life as we know it, really. We've, we've got this beautiful life here in the Eastern Bay of Plenty, such a nice climate, um, but yet we've had three frosts in Whakatane this whole year, and we didn't even get the first one until what would have been the end of June. We should be having frosts from May, April, May, around the duck shooting season, um, but the, they're just a, getting, every year they get further and further out. Alan, are you hearing similar sorts of issues? 
Oh, the, certainly the climate change is is an enormous thing down here, and can that as part of that, of course, is sea level rise. Um, the Dunedin City Council and Regional Council together have a South Dunedin Future Project looking at the future of South Dunedin, which is probably the largest single community in New Zealand that's going to be affected by sea level rise, and working out with the community what what are the what are the feasible options for the future there. So that's really important. Um, yes, and the whole thing about environmental protection is essential down this way um, as well. I think those are the issues on top, of course, for the Regional Council, which is all about managing the environment. And Mawera mentioned getting around, which raises the, yes, the question of the, of, the, of the public transport. What are we going to do about public the buses? Yeah, well... Um, the, we've just decided um, to, um, the Regional Council has just decided to increase their contracted bus drivers because, of course, the Regional Council contracts other companies, um, pay them the living wage, and that's a good thing because, of course, there's not enough bus drivers working. It was really interesting hearing from the Tramway Workers Union, who represent bus drivers um, at a Regional Council the other day, who made the point that the shortage of bus drivers isn't because there aren't enough bus drivers in the country. There are many, many who aren't currently, who are registered bus drivers and have all the appropriate licences but not working as bus drivers because the pain, the conditions are insufficient. And so there's a big one there. Unfortunately, um, more money will have to be found from somewhere, but that's essential that does for the well-being of the bus drivers and for the future of public transport, I think, throughout New Zealand. Would you see the half-price and then quarter-price fares be continued? I certainly hope so. Um, yeah, that's very worthwhile because, of course, any you know anyone who hops on a bus instead of taking their own car that doesn't just benefit that person, that benefits all of us because of the reduced carbon emissions that brings and for other drivers, fewer fewer cars, cars on the road. So it's really worth worthwhile and logical using public funds to further subsidise public transport. During the pandemic, we heard people talk about a shift to some sort of sustainable tourism but then pretty much as soon as the borders are open, it was how many planes can we get back in? How do we move the discussion, the conversation to talking about regenerative tourism or whatever it is in a way that actually sticks? Yes, I, look, I don't know the answer to that, but it's a very important conversation to have and it's a, very, and it's a conversation that is going on and of course that applies very much to Central Otago, Queenstown Lakes region which is so dependent on tourism. Um, yeah, so I'll have to say, look, I don't know the answer but we do need to keep having that conversation to work something out so that we've got a long-term sustainable future and not something that's dependent on huge carbon emissions. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have... Songs of Our Native Daughters, I Knew I Could Fly. Why this one? Well, I came across Rhiannon Biddens, the her music, a few years ago, actually, and that led me on to Songs of Our Native Daughters, which is, of course, Rhiannon Giddens and three other amazing banjo players um, and their music. And I think this one was written by Layla McCalla and Alison Russell. Um, this particular song, I don't know, it sort of speaks to struggle and optimism at the same time, and it's such a beautiful, simple um, piece of music. It really appeals to me, and it grabs my attention whenever I hear it.
do like that notion of struggle and optimism at the same time the theme of this show is positive but not deluded although we've been convinced to add a dash of deluded how do you see the the role of a, a positive mindset but how do you keep that grounded with some sort of critical realism well it would certainly looking at uh, looking at the news, the world news, you could get very, very depressed. But I think um, if that leads to inaction, then that's no good. I think personally, we have to keep being optimistic. I feel I have to keep being optimistic in order to think that we can take some meaningful action to deal with some of the challenges that are facing us locally and nationally and globally because there's certainly some big things out there there certainly are those big things out there so how do you stay positive i suppose staying positive what keeps me positive i think is being involved with other groups of people who are doing such such wonderful things you know the voluntary groups around the place who are spending their weekends planting native trees and following those track lines and predator control, those people who are, um, for example, um, up at Arautauru Marae in Dunedin, providing free meals through Pataka Ora twice a week to their local community. Um, all those groups of people who are working hard to achieve really good things for the people in their community and to look after the environment here. What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response over the last couple of years for the bigger sorts of problems that we face, things like climate change and social injustice on the, the large scale and so on? 
Mm. Yeah, I suppose, I think, I mean, I think it, what, what was one of the big messages during the pandemic time? It was be kind, wasn't it? Be kind to other people, be kind to yourselves. And remembering that one in any circumstances, I think is a very good one. And maybe we should extend that a bit further to say, you know, be kind to Papa Tuanuku as well. And um, that means we're going to have to behave. If we're truly going to be kind to Papa Tuanuku, we're going to have to behave in some somewhat different ways so that we can continue to do that so that we have a healthy and safe environment to live in for us and our children and their children in the future. We're increasingly living in a in an uncertain world. I like the the term volatile VUCA, volatile, mm. uncertain, complex and ambiguous. And given that, there'll be things that come up that you're uncertain about, that you don't actually know what the answer is. What do you think is guide you in terms of decision making about those things when there aren't the facts to rely on or the the answer's not obvious? Mm. Yeah, well, I think I think having a clear set of values to go back on, you know, where you don't quite know what the answer is, having some values to refer to is is really important. And if those are around, care for our environment care for our land and our water, and care for our communities, then I think we're going a good way. Don't know what to do? Think about how does this affect our community? How does this affect other people? How does this affect our land and our water and our wider environment? And that can give some some guidance there, I think. Now, I guess, um, you know, there's room for different answers there. But let's keep talking to each other. Let's keep communicating well and seeing what agreement we can can reach. You will be faced with people around the table who strongly disagree with what seems to probably all three of us as apple pie. How do you how do you manage that total mismatch of of ideas that people might have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I suppose I hope it's not a total mismatch. There's usually some common ground. Um, You know, everyone, for example, is going to agree that we must look after the environment. I can't see anyone will say we don't need to do that. And, of course, there'll be different ideas about how to do that. And there'll be different ideas about the the price to be paid, I suppose, and in other ways for doing that. But I guess I'd argue, of course, that the price of not looking after the environment now is nothing compared to, I mean, the price of that, of not looking after it is enormous compared to what it might cost now. So I suppose it's, I think I would look for, establish what common ground we can find and then work from there. But that's not to say we are always going to be able to reach agreement. I mean, and the nature of the regional council is that votes are taken on some matters and I guess I'm very much hoping that after the elections in Otago and elsewhere that the balance of the votes will be very much in terms of protecting protecting the environment, dealing well with climate change and looking after the communities, looking after our people who, who live here. I have some questions to end the show and not very much time so we're going to have to wriggle through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, uh, I'm very pleased in a minor way. Well, yeah, I could say we, we have a um, little beach house down at Tyree Mouth, just south of Dedeen, which is very nice indeed. And we have a few fruit trees and, and berry bushes growing there. My greatest success last season was our gooseberry bushes. We're off two bushes. We've got 20 kilograms of gooseberries. That will do us for years as well as giving many of those away. So I think that's one of my great successes in a small way. So we are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? What's got you into the mansion? 
Well, um, I, I'd have to say I don't really believe I have a superpower. I think the superpower belongs to people working collectively um, rather than any individual one. And I suppose if I can help, help people work better collectively, then I'm very happy with that one. I'm going to call that a superpower, helping other people work collectively. That's a pretty good superpower. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? I I haven't seen myself in those terms, but maybe that's changing a little as I become more adventurous. So what motivates you? What gets gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, well, there's always plenty to do. And there's plenty of interesting stuff to do. I mean, these things we've been talking about today, they're so interesting. So it's partly that, but it's also the awareness that they are actually so important. And I know that some of the things we have to go to the supermarket and we have to do that are not all that interesting. But to have a longer term plan, I really like to have a a plan in my mind. And at the moment, I'm planning to get myself onto the Otago Regional Council. I'm planning to do a few other things with groups I'm involved. So having those plans for the future is actually really important for me. Is it important that those are making a difference? I think that's important uh, that they're making a difference because I guess that what that's what brings value to them, and that's why I'm valuing those things, and it's going back to those values. It's looking after our communities, it's looking after our, our land and water and environment. So maybe the answer to this is obvious, but I'll ask it anyway. What is the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Well, if should I be elected to the Otago Regional Council, and, you know, we'll have to wait and see on that one. It's up to our voters in Dunedin to decide. I think the challenge will be getting that whole council group on board with a, with a um, stronger agenda in terms of looking after our people in the face of climate change and taking action to protect our environment and getting agreement from that council so that then all those excellent council, wonderful council staff can get on with the job in, in furthering, furthering that direction. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, well, around local body elections, my advice would be please take an interest, please find out about your candidates and please get your postal votes back in once they arrive. Thank you for that. Moera. It has been an absolute joy to talk to you today, Alan. Um, Anybody who commits their working life to making life better for little children is a hero in my book. So I just want to say thank you for the commitment that you've made to making life better for children and for helping them to live the futures that they deserve. Um, And I wish you all the best for your campaign uh, for regional council. And um, please keep going with the work that you're doing because you're doing a great job. Kia ora. Kia ora. Well, look, thank you very much. Very nice to talk to you both. And Mawera, all the best for your regional council campaign as well. Thank you. Thank you. been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. 
We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Karen and the kids. All is love. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani, and in Dunedin we've been joined by Alan Somerville. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Marty Wa. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.